in the early days of CME Blues, I, I often thought, could we replicate this in other fields, other industries, and create meetings in those spaces? I'm Salisa Steele. I'm Jeff Cobb, and this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Competition from free and low-cost offerings is a reality for many learning businesses. But it's also true that most learning businesses do offer, or should offer, free or low-cost options in their own portfolios. CME Palooza offers an interesting case study to examine, both for competitive insight and as a potential model to emulate. Scott Kober and Derek Warnick produce CME Palooza, a free biannual virtual conference for CME and CE professionals. CME Palooza is a side gig for these fearless co-producers. By day, Derek Warnick works as a grant officer on the global medical team at Pfizer, and Scott Kober is managing director at Excalibur Medical Education. Scott and Derek are return guests. I spoke with them way back in episode 83, which aired in May 2017. In this episode, number 360, Salisa talks with Scott and Derek about how COVID did and didn't impact CME Palooza, how competition does or doesn't factor into their thinking, how producing the conference provides them with invaluable market insight, and how their value proposition has evolved organically over the years, but has always been guided by three principles, high quality, easy, and free. Salisa spoke with Scott and Derek in April 2023, and the interview begins with Scott talking about what CME Palooza is. So we have two annual virtual free online meetings, one in the spring and one in the fall. We're talking today, just a few days after our spring 2023 meeting. We are in our 10th year. Derek and I had a long debate on whether this was our 10th birthday or 10th anniversary, but I actually let them win this one. So I agree that this is not, this, this is neither our 10th birthday nor 10th anniversary, although it is our 10th year of CME. Right. So, correct. Well, so one of the obvious things that has happened since you were last on the podcast is the pandemic. And as a free online conference. It seems like CME Palooza was probably really well positioned for spring of 2020. But talk a little bit about how COVID has impacted CME Palooza. So uh, March 2020, obviously, that's when the pandemic sort of first first got, appeared on everyone's radar screens. Uh, we were about a month out from, from our spring meeting. So we had our agenda, we had our faculty, we had everything in place for to, to kind of do what we usually do. And then when the pandemic hit, we, we had most of our speakers, faculty, they were suddenly weren't working. So they weren't doing very much. So, so they had time on their hands. And we pushed forward with our, with our spring 2020 event, pivoted a little bit with some of the content and some of the focus of what we were talking about. But at the time, it became our, our most well, most highly attended event ever because people didn't have a lot to do on a day-to-day basis. And this was sort of the one thing that was out there that was something that, that they could relate to or that, that was reliable and that was still on the calendar. So obviously, after that pandemic in the first year or two, I think we'll talk about this a little bit more, everything moved online. So it wasn't just CME Palooza that was now online education for our industry. 
but we kind of have always stuck to kind of our schedule of spring and fall. So we really were not disrupted in that sense by the pandemic, like so many others were. The pandemic itself, the impact it had on us, other than, as Scott talked about, or viewers, et cetera, I really didn't impact what we do almost at all. We do pretty much everything the same now as we did before the pandemic, during the pandemic, after the pandemic. It was basically business as usual because for a virtual conference. So in fact, if anything, it's made our our jobs with CB Blueza a little bit easier because everyone was forced to learn how to operate with a virtual conference and to figure out to get the hardware they needed and how to work with the software, et cetera. And so now we have to educate a lot less than we than we used to. Everyone seems comfortable with it. One of the things we used to do before the pandemic, we used to always do kind of uh, AV tests kind of in the weeks or two before our live event just to make sure everyone's technology was working. And at least from my perspective, I think Derek does it every now and then. I don't even do them anymore just because we don't run into issues from that perspective. I'm thinking about what you guys offer and competition is something that we talk about a lot on the Leading Learning Podcast. And you are the competition that a lot of our listeners have to deal with, not directly, but, you know, sort of people like you, they have to deal with um, low cost or heaven forbid free offerings. And there's, they sort of have to make that case to their learners to come and, you know, hey, learn with us. And so I'm just curious to know, you know, as these producers of this sort of twice a year free conference, how do you think about how you complement and potentially compete with the other folks out there providing education to your audience, which is CME providers? I don't think that we really look at the other others who are doing education for the same audience that we are as competitors. I don't know how they look at us necessarily, but while we're both offering educational services for the same type of audience, we offer different things. We can't replicate that in-person conference experience that that others can. And I don't I don't think we really try to necessarily. That's not that's not our role. That's not our our goal. But at the same time, we offer something that they can't, which is free education. And so our I think our audience, at least when we started CME Palooza, a lot of our we thought of our audience as those who were not able to go to in-person conferences, which was the main educational offering for them. Because for whatever reason, too expensive, too hard to travel, too many people from their department already going, that sort of thing. And so we always thought of this as this is an opportunity for them and others as well. We, I mean, well aware that there's others who, who go to all the different offerings. I would never think all you need to do is watch CME Palooza and that you're fine for the year. You can get all of your whatever you need, all your learning from that. I think that there are things that you can learn regardless of who's offering it from different ways. So I don't think of it as too much as a competitive with the others, whether they think of us that way. I don't know. Well, I think one of the nice things is we do have collegial relationships with all of these other big groups who do these live meetings. So, so we'll often cross promote each other's events. We'll have them come speak during CME Palooza. We will kind of contribute something during some of their live events. So while, while yes, in a sense, we probably are competing for eyeballs. We both recognize that we sort of offer some different things and fortunately we're, we're able to get along in the sandbox. So you know, that question that I just asked was in some ways about kind of the, the, 
the competition that you might be to other providers. I'm wondering if you all have had a sense of any increased competition for the audience that you serve. I mean, we've talked about COVID. We've talked about how COVID pushed so many folks online, exclusively online for a period of time. And so then organizations that weren't necessarily offering learning online at all suddenly started offering it. Did you feel that at all in your viewership or did COVID actually impact you from a competitive standpoint that you're aware of? There was definitely one organization that coordinated and introduced a virtual online conference within the first few months of the pandemic. They've since shifted. Now they're, I think, doing their first live in-person event this summer. Again, we know all those people. We were happy to sort of talk to them and sort of offer what limited advice that we could. But, you know, I, I don't think that Derek and I have ever sort of positioned to CME Palooza as we want to come in and overtake group A, B, or C. We know what we are. We're confident in sort of what we've been able to develop. And we're happy to help other folks because we both think that that kind of what we've been able to build sort of resonates with our audience. Our personalities sort of have always been able to shine through. And that's something that, that others can't really replicate. You can replicate the, the education. You can replicate the delivery platform. You can replicate the cost, perhaps. But, you know, I think what has always set CME Clues apart, in a sense, a little bit is sort of our personalities and sort of the way that that we approach our educational events. I'd say, too, there was maybe a moment or two when everything was shut down during the pandemic where I did think it's like, if everyone is going online, I wonder how that will impact us. That initial offering, I mean, we were so well situated to be able to just keep doing what we were doing. And God already talked about how our numbers went up for that. But then they, they did come back down to regular levels. And it did make me think a bit about it. But even throughout that, we still had a good amount of participants. And now everyone who had kind of made that transition from, oh, we're live in person, we have to go online. They've basically gone back to being live in person meetings. And maybe they'll have a couple of sessions that are, are an online option. But I don't think there's anyone out there right now who's doing the same thing that we are doing. So I, I don't think we really think about the competition too much. As someone who listens to the Leading Learning Podcast, you should know about the Leading Learning Newsletter, which you can subscribe to at leadinglearning.com slash inbox. The newsletter is inbox intelligence for learning businesses and helps you understand the latest technology, marketing, and learning trends and grow your learning business. Best of all, it's a free resource. As a subscriber, you'll get leading links, our monthly curated collection of resources to help you grow the reach, revenue, and impact of your learning business, the Podcast Digest, a monthly summary of podcast episodes released during the previous month, plus periodic announcements highlighting leading learning webinars and other educational opportunities designed to benefit learning business professionals. Subscribe for free at leadinglearning.com inbox. And if you're already subscribed, point a colleague to leadinglearning.com slash inbox. What I'm hearing from you is that in part, you don't really have to think about competition because you, you have a unique offering. You have a unique sort of value proposition. You know, you're, you're Derek and Scott. Nobody else can, can bring that part to a, a CME provider educational offering. 
but to maybe talk a little bit about that value proposition and kind of what's in it for you, what's in it for the attendees, what's in it for the presenters, for the sponsors, who all you might consider your your key stakeholder groups. I think our value proposition sort of has kind of grown organically. I don't think when Derek and I kind of first joined forces, we we, we didn't really have a, we didn't, we didn't sit down and say, this, this is what we want to become. It sort of has sort of evolved over time. But I think that we have been able to always kind of bring a very creative sort of bent towards our education that we provide. One of the things, as much as our spring and fall meetings are popular, our kind of marketing and blog are also very popular and people always like the way that we kind of have our banter back and forth, kind of some of the humor that we inject. We don't really market CME Palooza the way that a lot of conferences do, like here is the agenda or it's early bird registration. We have sponsor events that are that are game-based and we offer cash prizes. We have, for the last two CME Paloozas, we have what we call our Steptacular Challenge, where instead of a virtual 5K, we kind of did a step challenge. So We've, we've always sort of been able to, to bring a little bit of fun. And then with our actual events themselves, our sessions can get a little bit, a little bit strange sometimes, or it, it's not just a panel sitting down and talking about topic XYZ. We've definitely done, done some creative things over the years that people seem to enjoy both from a presenter and from an audience perspective. The sponsors of CME Palooza are often the people who are the kinds of people who are who are our panelists, who are our audience. These are mostly CME providers, so providers of education for physicians, nurses, pharmacists, and other healthcare professionals. And these are people who don't generally sponsor other events. So they're, while they're attending these live events, sometimes they're sponsors for their events, but often, often not. So often CME Palooza is the event that they sponsor because we're not charging a huge dollar amount necessarily for sponsorship, and we're pretty inclusive of, of everyone. Yeah, I think from a value proposition standpoint, for us, I think it's fair to say that it's raised our profile in the CE community. Not something I'm entirely comfortable with, but it has its <laughs> it has its benefits uh, to some degree. For attendees, they're getting you know, high quality education that directly relates to their profession what they are working in that they can access anytime and it's free. And there are not a lot of opportunities like that. And so I think there's a lot of value in finding something that, so there's other resources that kind of indirectly relate, but to find a resource that directly relates with what they're doing, there's a lot of value in that. For presenters, I think we, at least the way we try to present it to them is that it's a fairly low stress environment for them to experience presenting. We try to encourage first-time presenters or those who don't do it a whole lot to come and, and participate when they can because they are not standing in front of a crowd of 100 or whatever. It's just, you know, the seeing me, Scott, that has its own issues, but, and then whoever they might be presenting with, even if they're on a panel, but it's so, it's pretty low stress. People still seem to be a little nervous when they come on. So I try not to tell them how many are actually, you know, that there's 200 people who are actually listening in. Like, I, I don't know. There's a couple on there um, and they can be creative. Uh, you know, Scott talked about that too, creative and innovative as well. So it's a good opportunity for them to test some of their ideas. And then for sponsors, I think that their main value is that they get their name in front of a very select targeted audience, which again can be a challenge 
in, in other ways. And so we have, we have, I think as of last week, 900 followers on our, for the blog, which I know in the grand realm of, of blogging is not a huge number, but when you consider that, that is a pretty selective audience who is following us. And if that's the area you're working in, that's pretty, pretty good, I would say. And so I think it does get their name. And just from the feedback we've heard, it does seem like that, that they're reaching people. So a couple of things in what y'all shared. One is, I mean, you mentioned, Derek, kind of anytime, anywhere access. And so I just wanted to make the point that people can attend the sessions live when they're happening, but then you also record them and make those available so then then people can go after the fact, right? Right, yes, because we're using StreamYard, a platform we use, and it uses YouTube. And once you end a session, it is automatically archived on YouTube. We have it set up ahead of time that you can access the archive immediately. There's a link right there that you can go to. So pretty much five minutes after a session ends, you can go in. And everything's archived on the website. So they yeah, they can access at any point once it's finished. And then I, I feel like I can't let you guys get away with talking about strange sessions and creative <laughs> sessions without asking for an example or two. Does something jump to mind that you've maybe done in the past or that a presenter has done in the past that would qualify as strange or creative? One of my favorites, it was, there was a series of two. Back, even before I started CME Palooza, I had a different blog that I would write on and I just sometimes was pressed for ideas. And I at one point wrote something about a CME detective named Jake Powers. Jake Powers, CME detective. It was silly and ridiculous. And someone took that and actually converted it into a CME Palooza session that was complete with role-playing and the people who would come in, it was like a old school detective Sam Spade-esque kind of guy who was drinking bourbon at his office <laughs> while he moaned over the difficulties of the CME world. <laughs> so uh, it was appropriately ridiculous, also funny, and I think people enjoyed it. And there was even a couple things that they learned, hopefully. <laughs> I think the challenge with those types of sessions is to not just be silly and kooky, but to also have some educational value in those. I remember we did one, I did the masked provider. So basically it was a spoof of the masked singer. You know, we had panelists come on with their cameras off and they had to give clues about who they were. And then we had judges who had to guess who the actual person was. And then we turned the camera on, show who they were. And then they give a five minute kind of talk back and forth with the quote unquote judges on how their organization was adapting to the pandemic. I think this was probably, I think it was probably the fall of 2020. So it takes some planning to be able to figure out, okay, how do we do this in a live virtual setting? But we've done like a bunch of different sessions sort of like that, where Derek and I have to sort of figure out how is this going to work and how is it going to be of educational value and also of entertainment value. As we've mentioned in this conversation already, as we're talking, you guys have just wrapped up your spring 2023 offering. You celebrated not a birthday and not an anniversary, but you're celebrating 10 years as CME Palooza. And I'm guessing that over those 10 years, there's been some pressure to change, maybe pressure from yourselves, maybe pressure from 
others. I'm thinking things like pressure to spend more money or to hire more help or offer more sessions or use different technology, build a a really big email list and a stronger sort of more formal marketing arm of this. So first, am I right in assuming that there's been some of that pressure? And then B, are, are you giving in? Where are you changing things? I would say yes, but not not a huge amount. I'll be curious to hear what Scott thinks about this. When we first started doing it back in 2014, the number one thing we used to get, we got a couple of people who came and were trying to convince us to use a different technology. Generally, it meant using their technology or their resources or whatever. And it was never something, at that point, we were using Google Hangouts on air. For anyone who may remember Rest in peace, Google Hangouts, and no longer an option. But that's what we used our first our first couple of years. And at the time, part of the the point of CME Palooza was to show how you could do something like we were doing for so so cheaply and but still putting out good quality. And so we didn't necessarily want to use some of the more expensive platforms, but also we didn't want to lose the control that we have. I think that is a big part of it and something we still, we basically have, have total control, not not in a domineering sort of way, but just it just makes it easier for us to not have to rely on other people to manage whatever aspects. And that's, I think, what helps make it as effective as it is. But beyond that, I mean, there has been, we still go by the same three foundational principles that we started with and that we want quality education, easy and free easy for faculty and participants to be able to use, easy for us to manage, and free. So I don't think there has been a lot of pressure about that. We get some, some of the common questions that we still get are things about, just like start time. It's a virtual conference, so everyone is spread out all around. We always start at 9 a.m. Eastern time, or reasonably so, our colleagues on the West Coast, uh, you know, often ask, like, can you start a little later? I can't get up at 6 a.m. or whatever, which one point we did try going to two days smaller, starting at like 10 a.m. and just going for a couple of hours and spreading out over two days. And it was it was worse. <laughs> we had less people who participated. And I think we just decided, like, we live on the East Coast. Honestly speaking, the majority of our audience is on the East Coast or or, or Central. And that, that's what's working. So we'll just stay. We're just going to keep staying with that. Sometimes there's complaints about that we should have more breaks included within, so there's more time. I think our decision is it's hard enough for us to fit in everything in the time that we give, and adding in more breaks would just make it even more difficult. So it's recorded. You can go back and (laughs) see what you missed if you're worried about taking a break. And then there's things like asking our faculty to wear mics and headsets and to have better equipment. And again, they're volunteering their time to do this. It just makes it more complicated and there more frustrations for them to require them. And the quality that we get by letting them do what they want is fine. And so we've never made that really. We've recommended or suggested, but we don't make it a, a requirement. Yeah, I mean, I think the big thing is, look, I mean, CME Plus is, is essentially Derek and I, and it has been from the first year. So when there are issues that come up, we're not having to sit down in a room with six or seven different people to hash these out. We'll email or call each other. Derek will offer his perspective. I'll offer my perspective and we'll go with my perspective. (laughs) But really, I mean, there hasn't been a whole lot of kind of hard choices to make. I mean, there, as Derek said, 
there are people who will ask us for for things now and then, and we'll consider their perspective. And we'll, if we want to try something different, we'll try something different. If not, we'll say, look, this isn't the right fit for us, and 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 move along. We don't require people to to register. We don't require them to fill out evaluation form or anything. We do have a survey at the end. And we used to ask on the survey, what did you like about CME Palooza? What did you not like about CME Palooza? And eventually we just took out the question, what did you not like about CME Palooza? Because we figured out, hey, we don't we really care. <laughs> I mean, that's not, that's not quite accurate. But sometimes the things that they were complaining about were like, we can't, we can't fix that. We can't change that. This is how it's going to be. It's free. And I think that we decided, we do ask if there's recommendations, things that could be improved, et cetera. So it's, we're not quite that vain about it, but it works. <laughs> it works for us. It works for our audience. And so we just keep doing it and try to make little improvements along the way as we can. Well, so Derek, you mentioned three sort of fundamental points around quality education, making it easy for yourselves, for attendees, for presenters, and then keeping it free. And then, Scott, you had talked about sort of the value proposition being kind of organic. I'm just curious, were those three sort of tenants, were they there from the beginning? Or is that something that also evolves with more clarity those, over those first few years? No, I think, I think those have actually been, been, there, been there from the start. So, so that really hasn't changed. And we really have never had to question that. Oh, I, I think that people will kind of look at this and say, well, why is this worth your time if, if you're not charging people? anything to attend. And fortunately, we, we do accept sponsorships, which does sort of offset some of the cost of, of our time. But that's something that I think if we were to suddenly change it and say, okay, people are going to have to start paying $200 to access CME Palooza, that probably would not go over so well with a lot of our audience. And, and it kind of goes against the whole spirit of, of what we've been able to develop. So you've got 10 years under your belt at this point, and it, it sounds like no plans, at least currently, to stop CME Palooza. So when you look ahead, are there changes that you're considering or already planning for CME Palooza, or are there trends or developments that you're watching that you think might impact what CME Palooza looks like in the next 10 years? Yeah, I don't know that there is a whole, it's small thing. There really is. We, I don't think we don't have this vision of expanding into some mega corporation or whatever. One of my goals is to enable a live chat feature during CME Palooza, which we've never been able to do, which I think would be beneficial for a number of reasons. There have been some updates that have been made to StreamYard that I think we would be beneficial to us to try and incorporate. They came out a couple, what was it, like a month or so before. And we were both sort of like, eh, let's not do that right now. Let's wait until after we get through and see me Palooza and then we'll we'll take a look. So from my perspective, there's nothing, there's nothing big. One thing I should have actually mentioned during the, the last question about pressures or questions we've gotten from people that maybe relate there a little bit is that well, one of the things that we have been approached by a number of different people and it often comes up is about doing an actual live in-person conference, mm-hmm. you know, CME Blues Alive, which we've actually kicked around a little bit and considered, I think from the perspective of, you know, what, how can we do this a little bit differently than it gets done now? And we have ideas and some thoughts, but I think a big hurdle for us is that part about you know, everything at CME Blues has been free so far. And to do a live in-person conference that is not, not only free, but maybe even at a discounted cost, it's hard. That's a big challenge. So we have not done too much with it at this point. So 
in general, I think we'll just continue as we are and make improvements as we can. I think that will be make the experience better, but without major hurdles to overcome. Yeah, I think the challenge is that both Derek and I, this is sort of our side job. So if we were to expand CME Palooza, whether it's doing a live event, in the early days of CME Palooza, I, I often thought, could we replicate this in other fields, other industries, and create meetings in those spaces? We don't have the context there. We don't know the people. So yes, while, while the general template and blueprint of what CME Palooza does probably could work in all kinds of other industries, it would just be something that would take a lot of time and a lot of legwork from our perspective. So we'll see where things go. 10 years, it's been, it's been, it doesn't seem like, well, no, it does seem like it's been 10 years. Um, so it's been a lot of planning. It's been a lot of writing, but we're certainly not planning on shutting it down anytime soon. So this is the Leading Learning Podcast. So we have a question that we like to ask of all of our guests, and that just has to do with how you approach your own lifelong learning. And so that could be habits or practices or sources that you turn to to continue to grow professionally and personally. So I'd be curious to hear from both of you. Scott, would you want to start us off on this one? Sure. So we're just coming off of our spring meeting right now. And sometimes what I'll do is as we're kind of sitting through producing our various sessions, we're hearing from some of the people who are kind of on the leading edge of, of kind of doing interesting things in, in our field. So based upon their presentations, I'll sort of delve into kind of various areas and, and try to learn a little bit more about what they were talking about. We just had a session that was all about chat GPT. And, and I, I kind of poked around a little bit, but our presenters really gave some useful advice and they sort of followed up with, you know, on, on various social media platforms with sort of other potential ways to use that technology. So I'll sort of kind of follow their lead and sort of do my own research from that perspective. Other than that, I think both Derek and I read all kinds of things, probably not so much specific to our industry, but just to kind of keep our, keep our brains active and, you know, if there are tidbits that we can pull from what we're reading for pleasure into our professional lives, great. So professionally for me, maybe one of the things I should have mentioned during the value proposition section is that producing CME Palooza gives us access to a huge personal learning resource. It's a lot easier to keep up with trends in the industry when you're producing a conference about them. So just being part of that, uh, definitely, it's I, I don't know how Scott feels about this, but it's hard for me to go back and watch the sessions afterwards because I cringe just having to watch myself that, that often. But being part of them, helping develop them, putting them together goes a long way. And I also, I tried to get to a lot, a good amount of our, of the major in-person conferences as well, just to have those, it, it, not even necessarily for the sessions themselves, which are, of course, you know, educational, but the hallway conversation, meeting with people in the industry, et cetera, is, a, is valuable to me. And then personally, yeah, like Scott said, I read a lot. One of the things during the pandemic that I started doing was getting up a little earlier in the day. And then I dedicate 30 to 60 minutes before starting work to, to read both fiction and nonfiction, usually nonfiction. Nonfiction's for the morning, fiction's for the evening. <laughs> break it down. So that's probably the majority of my own personal learning comes from that. Yeah. Well, great. And I think that's an excellent point that a big 
benefit that you each get from your part in CME Palooza just is that it does help your own learning and gives you, yeah, that access to trends and, and thought leaders and just helps you stay on top of your game. Scott Kober and Derek Warnick co-produce CME Palooza, a free biannual virtual conference for CME and CE professionals. In the show notes for this episode at leadinglearning.com slash episode 360, you'll find a link to the CME Palooza site where you can learn more about the conference and more about Scott and Derek. Jeff and I would be grateful if you would rate the Leading Learning Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, especially if you find the show valuable. Those ratings help us show up when people search for content on leading a learning business. And please spread the word about leading learning, whether in a one-on-one conversation with a colleague or a personal note or on social media. In the show notes at leadinglearning.com slash episode 360, you'll find links to connect with us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Thanks for listening and see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast. Podcast.